Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Continuing with our summer filled with parables, this parable should sound familiar to many of you. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the young son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property, and desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the, one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. Dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him was filled with compassion. He ran and he put his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, What was going on? He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for you and for me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me and for me? Lord, we acknowledge, we acknowledge as we prepare to hear your word proclaimed, that it's difficult to speak about grace in the midst of evil. It's difficult to speak about your kingdom in the midst of the carnage of the last 24 hours, while families grieve the loss and the injury of loved ones. But God, it's not only difficult to think about grace in the midst of evil, it's difficult to think about grace in the midst of me personally, my everyday life. The times in which I get it wrong, my shortcomings, my failings, my undeservedness, my sinfulness. And yet, your message of grace does not change. Speak it once again to our hearts so that we might speak it and live it for the world. Place the cross before me, let none see me, but you and your grace alone. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Karma. Karma comes after everyone eventually. You can't get away with screwing people over your whole life. I don't care who you are. What goes around, comes around. That's how it works. Sooner or later, the universe will serve you the revenge that you deserve. Jessica Brody, young adult fiction writer. Karma bides its time. You will always have to watch out. Karma is unforgiving. And always gets its payback. Benjamin Bayani, author. If you're a really mean person, you're going to come back as a fly and eat poop. (laughs) Kurt Cobain, lead singer of Nirvana. You're laughing because inside you know it's true. It resonates with you, doesn't it? Karma, payback, getting what one deserves. Admit it. 
Just admit it. Admit that you have longed for these words against someone before. Are you willing to admit it? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, but I'm kind of self-righteous, so I'm not going to shake my head. Trust me. We will be better off if we start our time today in confession by admitting to each other that we love it. We love it when people get what they deserve. If someone makes a dumb choice, if they act unwisely, if someone harms you, your family, your friends, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and then finds themselves later down the road, paying the consequences of their actions, just admit it. Deep down inside, you have a smile on your face because even in the slightest way, justice has been served. You see, there's a reason why children run to their parents to tattle on their siblings. They tattle because they enjoy watching their sibling punished for their wrongdoings. I was no different. I had a sister. If my sister did something wrong, you better believe that I was a snitch. And before you all go and feel sorry for her, my sister was an equal opportunity snitch as well. We enjoyed it every single time we snitched on one another and we saw them go into timeout or get a talking to. We loved it. You got what you deserve. I'll never forget when my sister got her license. It was a big deal, not only for her, but for me. I was 11 years old. I thought, I'm no longer riding a school bus. I'm going to be cool being dropped off. But there was only one problem. My sister thought it was uncool for me to be in the car with her. Which meant I was still riding the school bus. I'll never forget, my sister had only been driving to school a couple of days, and my grandmother, she worked as a short order chef at one of the stores in town. My sister, while I'm still waiting for the school bus, she leaves early because she's going to stop with grandma and get some breakfast. She does, and as she's backing out, she backs into another car. Friends, I can't begin to tell you the joy I had when I sat at home listening to my sister tell my parents about what had transpired. Pure karma. And I loved every minute of it. That's the way justice should be. You get what you deserve. And not a penny less. So just admit it. You buy into that too. Many of us take this ideology to our graves. We base our lives and our morality around this notion of karma. And therefore we act or we do things by and large. So that we do get what we deserve. We live lives trying not to make mistakes. Don't do wrong. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't act the wrong way. Don't look the wrong way because karma or judgment is lurking around the door. We act out of fear of punishment. 
But friends, we don't just do this and we don't just apply this thinking to our own lives and the people that we have to spend our lives with. This way of thinking, you get what you deserve, also penetrates itself into our faith. Some people have it together. Some people don't. God will sort it out and everyone will get what they deserve in the end. But the question is, is this really the way that grace works? Is this really the way that the God we worship thinks? If there was ever a parable that should end with everyone getting what they deserve, it should be the parable often entitled the prodigal son. Jesus, at the conclusion of telling a series of parables, a series of parables that begins with the lost sheep and the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and to search for the one. And when he finds the one, what does he do in Luke's Gospel? He throws a party. And then immediately after telling that that parable, he tells another parable about a woman who has 10 coins. And she loses one of the coins. And what does she do? She turns everything over in her house to find that one coin. And when she finds that one coin, what does she do? Does she put it back in the piggy bank? No, she invites all of her friends and she throws a party. And then immediately after telling that parable, Jesus tells the parable of a man who had two sons. One son was admirable. Always made the seemingly right choice. Always did the right thing, the moral thing. Never stepped out of line, not even once. What a great child. The other son... Well, let's just say these two brothers were not cut from the same cloth. This one, I imagine, would be someone that while the family was working, he would have locked himself up in his room with a poster that said, Make love, not war, while drinking a six-pack of Bud Light listening to Freebird on repeat. Because, in fact, that is who he was. A free bird. So set on being free so desired to be untethered from anything and everything that would burden his life. He would do anything to be free. He wanted his freedom so bad that he demanded of his father to go ahead and metaphorically die so that he could have half of his inheritance metaphorically die. I don't want you all to take that lightly. You all have worked. How many of you are retired? Just curious. You retired? Imagine this, okay? I want you to imagine this. 
Imagine you have some children and you're already retired and imagine your child comes up to you and demands what's left of your retirement savings, your pensions, your social security. For all intensive purposes, if you didn't have that, you would be better off dead if they should take it from you. Would you not be? Some of you are almost at retirement and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Just imagine you have a child that comes up to you and they say, give me all of my inheritance now. Everything that you have worked for, give it to me now. You may not be dead, but once your child takes that from you, I can promise you're going to be working until that time comes. Just die, Dad. And out of the father's love for the son, the father dies. He gives up his estate. He becomes broken for his son. And what does the son do? He flees to a distant land, Colorado perhaps, California. Here I come. Time to blow every single penny that my father has worked his living for so that I might live the bachelor's life. I'm as free as a bird now. And this bird, you cannot change. You all know it. What a little punk, right? He's a punk. And we can't wait for that little punk to fall. So what's he do? He goes out there. He has all sorts of fun. He's living the high life. And then the money runs out, and he has to get a job. And what are we doing? Ha ha. Right? We're laughing at him. I'm starving for food now. Ha ha. I'm eating with pigs. Ha ha. He realizes he has to go back to daddy. But he realizes he can't go back to his daddy as his son anymore. He's ruined that relationship. Maybe he'll hire me back as a hired hand. Ha ha. This story can't get any better. I can't wait to see the father's face when he sees this son. I want to be a fly on the wall and watch this son's face when the father gives him what he deserves. It's going to be awesome. The son, realizing that he is dead, literally, he's dead, starving to death. The son realizing that he is dead, he realizes that he is insufficient to live a life apart from the father who is also dead on behalf of the son has the apology all worked out in his head. He knows what he's going to say. It's going to be a grand confession. I remember when I would do something wrong, my, my parents would call me and they wouldn't say I did anything wrong. They would simply say this, Cameron, you need to come home now. And that meant that wherever I was, I had that much time to create a really good apology. I imagine this son was somewhat similar situation. He's off in a distant land. He's had plenty of time to work up what he's going to say. I got it all figured out. 
the Son is almost back to the Father. And the Father sees the Son in the distance, and oh boy, I can't wait for this transaction. It's going to be great. Are you with me yet? Like, like this is some building suspense here. The Father is going to set this little punk straight. But wait! What? What's Father doing? Why is he ruining the plan? Why is he running towards him? His arms are out. Is he going to strangle him? What's he doing now? He's hugging him. Good grief, this is not how this is supposed to work. The son didn't even have the opportunity. You, you ruined it, Dad. The, the son didn't even have the opportunity to grovel at your feet in confession. That thing he had all planned out that he was going to say, he was going to give his heart to you, he didn't even have an opportunity to say it. What are you doing? This isn't what he deserves at all. Wait, what are you doing now? Why are you putting that fine robe on him? Why are you putting sandals on them nasty feet? What's up with that ring? And what's that smell? It smells like a barbecue for a picnic. Hey, where did the fatted calf go? What? You slaughtered it for him? He doesn't deserve any of this. He took what you had, he blew it, and he came back to you with nothing but his dying body. And then the father looks at the older son. He looks at us, the guardians of the house, the religious elites, the purveyors of justice, the keeper of the morality books, the do-gooders, the straight line walker, us. And he says, He was dead, and now he's alive. He was gone, but now he's here. And that's enough. So get off your high horse. Die to your own moral self-righteousness. Forget the rules about who deserves what. And come inside for the party before you are left outside. Grace is offensive, folks. 
If you're not offended by this story, then you've missed out on grace. Because the one who was always in the right, what did he receive? Judgment. And the one who was so far gone, nothing left but a dying body, grace. Grace is offensive because it flows against our you get what you deserve culture. Grace is offensive because you and I and that little punk of a son can't earn it at all. Grace is offensive because as much as me, we may want the Father to be a stickler for the rules, He simply isn't. And that's not only good news for that little son. That's good news for you. Once you are dead and your trespasses, Paul says, once you realize that you're not as morally upright as you ought to be, once you realize that the Father has also died for you and you've taken it and you've squandered it, it's in that moment that you stand in the presence of grace. And I bet if you would just simply turn your head back from whence you came, you just might see, I'd put money on it, you just might see that the Father has already began running to you. Amen.